people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are short a Jonathan Pierce, but we are still your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Risky Podcast, show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history, try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, what film are we watching this week, Zach? We are watching a film called Pillow Talk. Jan is falling hard for Tex, but I propose a dilemma. What if it was Brad? What if it was Brad? Yes. And is this your first time seeing Pillow Talk? Yes, it is. I feel like I'd seen a clip or two, you know, just like in montages of things, but I've never seen the movie before. So, yeah. Uh, mine as well. Ooh. So Oscar first, he's there. Uh, okay. I, I have watched a lot of films this inspired, including one of my favorite films of 2003, Down With Love. Which I bring up on this podcast a lot because mm-hmm. it should have been nominated for 76 Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I have never seen this film specifically. Okay. Well, so this was this was a fun one to cross off the list. We'll get into that more in a minute. Yes. Well, before that, do you have um, an Oscar breakdown for us? I do have an Oscar breakdown. Break it down! Man, what a night it is. Mm. On April 4th, 1960, at the RKO Pantages Theater. Such a cool name. That is a cool name. That's just such a good name. Um, but the name we're most interested in is Best Story and Screenplay, written directly for the screen. Just too many words. Mm. <laughs> you know, I complained about it every week now, and I complained about it every week when we had to cover it. Mix and match. Yeah, it's just a lot of words. Yeah. Uh, so those words are longer than the Taylor Swift era's tour documentary. Lord. <laughs> That's, is it three hours? <laughs> it's three hours. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Saving uh, cinema, apparently. I'm not complaining about the run length. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. make that joke. Good. Uh, because I think movies should be long. But mm-hmm. movies should also be short. Movies should be I don't short think, and long. And we should bring I don't back intermissions for my bladder. Yes. I don't think there should be two hour and 15 minute movies. I think there should be hour and a half movies and three hours plus. There should be nothing in between. Okay. Interesting point. It's not even something I really believe. <laughs> I just think it's a, it, it, <laughs> I just think it would be beneficial. I think that would make for some interesting uh, frustrations for editors. <laughs> Show who's worth their medal. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, pillow talk. Winning best story and screenplay to writ- written directly for the screen or story or screenplay written directly for the screen. Uh, <laughs> Academy Awards go to Russell Rouse and Clarence Green for the story, and Stanley Shapiro and Maurice Richland for the screenplay. Okay. Uh, it beats out 400 Blows, written by Francois Truffaut and Marcel Moussy, uh, North by Northwest written by Ernest Lehman, Operation Petticoat, with a story by Paul King and Joseph J. Stone, and a screenplay beating themselves by Stanley Shapiro and Maurice Richelin. (laughs) Also, uh, Wild Strawberries, directed or written by Ingrid Bergman, Ingrid, Ingmar (laughs) Bergman, wrong Bergman, uh, who refused the nomination. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that nonsense. (laughs) I don't want to be in this category. (laughs) <laughs> That's not all. We're not done. All right. What uh, else we got? It was nominated for 
Best Actress, giving Doris Day an Academy Award nomination, losing out to Simone Signoret for Room at the Top. Holy fucking shit, this category. I'm going to read the rest of it. Yes, please. If I read the rest of this in the other in the other episode uh, for Ben Hur, deal with it. Yeah. Uh, Audrey Hepburn is nominated for the Nun story. Of course, my theory always: when someone as hot as Audrey Hepburn plays a nun, <laughs> a director has some feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine Hepburn for Suddenly Last Summer, and Elizabeth Taylor for Suddenly Last Summer, murders fucking row. Absolutely. Um, Thelma Ritter is nominated for Best Supporting Actress as Alma. Yay. And she loses to Shelley Winters for The Diary of Anne Frank. Okay. Hard to argue there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is nominated for Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. That is a wide range of a category. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Duvall getting nominated. Uh, loses to Ben-Hur, or Mikolos Rosa. Okay, reasonable. Yeah, um, Ben-Hur. Right. Literally the most Academy Awards ever won at this point. Right. Uh, it is also, there's one more, and I lost it. Where'd it go? This, was it Art Direction? Yes, thank you. I just found it as soon as you said it. Best yeah. Art Direction Color, uh, giving Richard Rydell uh a nomination for art direction, a posthumous nomination at that. Oh. Uh, and it's set decoration for Russell A. Gaussman and Ruby R. Levitt. They lose, of course, to Ben Hur, giving William A. Hornig an Academy Award, also posthumous. He is also nominated for North by Northwest. A lot of dead people getting nominated for this category. Damn. Uh, and Edward Carfagno and set direction for Hugh Hunt. So. That, I believe, is that. Yes, it is. And that is our Oscar breakdown. Okay. So, a handful of nominations, but only the one win. One One for five. One for five. I I think the title track, Pillow... Yeah. (laughs) I think the title track, Pillow Talk, would have been nominated. That's me. Yes, that was a delightful opening to the film. Indeed it was. So, I guess we can get into talking about it then, huh? Yes, as we like to say on this podcast, let's talk about this movie. Yeah. How do we feel about well, Pillow Talk? Okay. So, from the moment this movie starts, the, the song you mentioned kicks off, and it's an excellent song, and there's a very playful, you know, color uh, background with some feet and some pillows, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm about to have a good time with this. And I would say that, you know, it's the kind of movie that if somebody really wanted to take a crucial eye to it, they could probably find some things they could label problematic or something. But I'm I wasn't doing that. I I just let the movie uh, happen. And I thought it was delightful and a lot of fun. Very charming. Um, Tremendous uh, chemistry between Rock Hudson and. Doris Day, and we'll talk more about that as we go. So that's my initial feeling. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll say up front, yes, there are elements of this film that did not age well. It it is what happens. 
context at different times. Sometimes you have to take that into context, accept it that you're not going to laugh at some things and some things are just not good. Yeah. That, that being said, I loved this film. Mm-hmm. I just had a great time. Uh, when those moments came up, they did take me out of it a little bit. Uh, there was a really weird running storyline where a nurse thinks that Rock Hudson's pregnant. I wasn't sure how to feel about it. I did. <laughs> I did kind of find it funny. <laughs> I I did too, and like at least the the comments from the like the doctor were almost sort of progressive, where he was like, <laughs> you know, yeah, don't, don't be closed minded to the possibilities of. Um, yeah, there there was some humanity, or real something. weird lamp shading there, and I don't like. I don't know how the film feels about it. We'll get into that a yeah. little bit more. Yeah, but but I, I just want to say I think Hudson and Day have amazing chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they play off each other really well. Right, uh, uh, Tony Randall. God, I know I love Tony Randall, but this performance is <laughs> so good. Yes. So, He's kind of a squirrely piece of shit, and I love him. <laughs> <laughs> was was this the first uh, matchup of uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson in a com- comedy like this? Yes. In fact, this was pretty much Rock Hudson's first comedy ever. Okay. So, so we'll get into that a little bit because I I I love that you you asked that. Um. So so Rock Hudson who was uh real dramatic actor you know he he had been a giant just a yeah. few years before this um and he was seen as like the chiseled stony like sex symbol that he was because mm-hmm. he is mm-hmm. my god <laughs> that man is gorgeous mm-hmm. um, and uh doris day was kind of the girl next door you know she she was a singer first and an actress second and right she was just a a pleasant, lighthearted film actress. And this script came around. Uh, it was picked up by her husband at the time. Okay. And essentially she was on board for it and had to get Rock Hudson on board, who was afraid that this was going to like ruin his very masculine image, one that he really had to protect because, spoiler alert, Rock Hudson was a gay man. Yes. Very deeply closeted because it was Hollywood in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, not, not a very safe time for right that. Um, so, so he was afraid that this was going to tarnish that very masculine image that he had curated for himself and Doris Day had to get him on board for it. And then this becomes one of his biggest hits. Um, so yeah. And this was a, very risque film for the time. Like, yeah, <laughs> the Hayes code is still pretty much there. And she's shouting out things like I, I share a, a party line with a sex maniac. Right. Pausing there There's for no disguising it. A very quick second. The sometimes I forget that party lines were a thing like to like a probably a person 20 or younger. If they were to watch this film, they'd be like, what the hell is a party line? How the heck did that ever exist? Um, but yeah, they're, they're like really phasing out around this time too. Yeah. So this is kind of like that movie phone booth where (laughs) we're using a outdated phone technology to kind of 
show how outdated these two kind of are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so yeah, uh, is this becomes a huge hit, and they team up at least two more times after this, and mm-hmm. it pretty much this film pretty much changes the landscape of comedy filmmaking. Yeah. It is an absolute shift after this, and yeah. you know we don't we don't get one of your favorite films of the year is Bottoms without this film. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I see it. It was like a 1.6 million budget and a 7.6 million box office. I mean, tripled its budget, and that's uh, pretty big for 50, 59. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there, there are moments like when they're driving, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead in the story, but when they're driving to Connecticut and the song, I think they maybe push some of the limits of risque through what's in songs more so than they're lines because it straight up says i want to make love to you (laughs) yeah and i was like okay and there's i mean doris day is such a sweet actress and she's so good so natural but she (laughs) for lack of a better word she's very good at playing horny i guess (laughs) like she yeah (laughs) she can turn it let her off leash in this fucking movie she is (laughs) fucking sex hitting like yeah and and that was a big thing about it was the the producers and the director of this film were like yeah door state you are fine as fuck and we're going to show that (laughs) off like you've been wasting your time all these years just being like the coy little girl next door you (laughs) are so hot and so you know the movie starts with you know her party line being tied up by this womanizer who's always on the phone talking to different women and she's getting frustrated with it. And you know, that, that adds kind of to her appeal too. Cause she's like, fuck you dude. And like, I'm going to get what I want. She's strong. She's yeah. assertive. And I, and I love, I love it. She is a mm-hmm. single woman living in the city by herself, making yeah. enough money. She's got herself a, a, a maid played by Thelma Ritter. Oh God. Thelma Ritter. So fucking good. <laughs> yeah. I always, you know, always love seeing her pop up, you know, as a working class character actor. I mean, she she just nails it and she's always interesting and funny. Thelma Murder's one of those when is she bad character actors. And right, right. She's certainly not in this film and she earned that Academy Award nomination. Yes. Um so we're talking about budget. I just want to go back to this real quick. Pillow Talk was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. Okay. At at seven point six. Was Ben Hur the highest? <laughs> Of course, it made thirty six million. <laughs> mm. So that tells you the ballpark we're playing in with thirty six is <clears throat> the bombshell. Uh, and and it's not even close. Second place is. <laughs> do you want to try to take a guess what second place is? Because you're never going to guess the film or the mount. Yeah, uh, both yeah. if you want. <laughs> uh, North by Northwest at eight point three million. Uh, North by Northwest was number nine at 5.7. Okay. What was number two? The Shaggy Dog. Oh, God. At (laughs) 9.6. Okay. So, Ben Hur is just eating everybody's lunch. Right. Like everybody else. They're they're making good 1959 money. They're not making Ben Hur money. Mm -mm. Ben Hur is uh, just right. Yeah, the Titanic of its day, of course, they both won 11 awards. So, 
Yeah, uh, Operation Petticoat and Some Like It Hot are both hanging out in the top five, three, and four, respectively. Um, so our our Oscar winners for the night, Shapiro and Richelin, two films in the top ten, in the top five. That's good mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Also, we well, want some behind behind the scenes information real quick. Michael Gordon, the director of this film, uh, this was his first film back from being blacklisted. Oh, okay. He's, that's another name that I recognize, but without looking it up, I can't remember what I recognize him for. If we talked about, uh, him? we haven't talked about him specifically. Like the biggest. Thing that you would probably know him for today was the Jose Ferrer uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay, this is the film that that uh, Jose Ferrer won Best Actor for. The thing you would probably know him best for today is being Joseph Gordon-Levitt's grandfather. Okay, gotcha. Now I'm not saying that's what he should be known for. <laughs> Just uh, yeah. It, did a lot of uh, a lot of B movies to start his career, and once he once he really got his career like going and was mm-hmm. hitting the mainstream blacklist, blacklist, yeah, and he gets blacklisted, yeah, because he was blacklisted because he was a member of group theater that apparently was had communist ties, and pretty, okay. if anybody involved with it got blacklisted, uh, yeah, so. Cyrano de Bergerac was in 1950. He had two films come out in 1951, and then this is his first film since 1951. Spent the better part of the decade uh, over some bullshit. Indeed. Well, so, yeah. So the film is uh, cheeky and fun. We got, uh, you know, the basic plot is that Rock Hudson's character, Brad, um finds out that Jan is hot and his friend likes her and pretends to be somebody else. Pretends to be Tony Randall. (laughs) Tony Randall playing his friend. Like I said, he's such a squirrely little bastard in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's an absolute creep. He is. But he plays (laughs) him so well. (laughs) He does. And, um, like at no point does the film like tell you that this guy is, acting okay (laughs) yeah right and like you know he he actively kind of becomes a bit of an antagonist near the end he Mm -hmm. hires a a private detective to spy on them yeah like (laughs) and then he comes in and he blackmails him and tries to make him leave for connecticut by himself (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's such a douchebag but randall tony randall's timing is impeccable. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I'll say, like, you know, a lot of romantic comedies tend to be a little sitcom-y, so it, it is not shocking that Tony Randall is so good in this. It goes on to be in The Odd Couple and has that great sitcom comedic timing. Mm-hmm. He was born for it. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, we don't really sit here and talk about the whole plot. That's not what we do. So I won't go into too much of that. I think um, I think the writing is strong. There's a lot of uh, good jokes. There's a lot of witty banter. Um, you know, like we said, some of the jokes are kind of weird, especially 
you know, reading about Rock Hudson, it said that some of his close friends and colleagues knew that he was gay, but I don't know. There's some things in the movie that, like you said, some lampshading and things like, you know, when uh, he's implying that the Tex character might be effeminate or likes interesting or effeminate things and implies that he might be, you know, gay. That's yeah, kind of very much so. Weird, weird kind of thing, you know, with the knowledge that he is a closeted gay man. Yeah. One of the uh, letterbox reviews were like, in, in a bit of meta textualization, Rock Hudson, a gay man, pretending to be a straight man, is playing a straight man, pretending to be a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's one of those things that doesn't age particularly well, that, like, that kind of gay panic, mm-hmm. which, again, you have a closeted gay man. Like trying to throw you off his scent, right? And it's like, oh no, he could be gay. How how terrible, right? Um, so then you eh, eh. throw numerous women at him throughout, you know, the first twenty minutes of the film, and you know nobody can resist him. Which I sure I'm sure you know is all try. I he probably agreed to a lot of that in part of you know not wanting to lose that masculine image, like you said that he created. Right. And yeah, as you said, you keep tossing women at them. And like that one inspector she sends (laughs) after him, she shows up and he answers the door and he's Rock Hudson. I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, So his Rock Hudson-iness, she's just like, oh, well, let's sleep together immediately. Yep. That's what you do. So that the audience at no point is ever going to suspect anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a bit that doesn't that doesn't look good these days, and uh, playing it off like if it could have been played off that he's he's just being a little insecure because he does this after he's been told by Tony Randall that she has told Tony Randall that she loves him, mm-hmm. and she has fallen for him, right? Um, so it's this weird little little bit, and he tells it to her over the phone. Without seeing this, I, I'm I'm explaining this very poorly. So I'm sorry, everybody. No, no. I, so, there, there's a lot of things that he does when he's himself as Brad to try to throw her off of Tex's um, thing, only to then play the part of Tex to further reaffirm uh, how good Tex is and how much she should fall in love with him. Right. As, as he is falling in love with her right. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, which he doesn't, but, he doesn't under he doesn't maybe fully understand right away that he is, but yeah, it, it really seems to be the moment that that he is going to be without her that he really truly realizes. He gets that little look while he's out like collecting wood in the Connecticut cabin, where he's like, "Huh, maybe this is something." Yeah, but like, how are you? Like, what was your plan after this? Like. <laughs> How are you going to come back from this? You're going to be taxed the rest of your life. It's so weird. Yeah. I, um, I didn't love the, the, like him getting caught being the song. I mean, it was okay, but I, I wanted to see where he was going to go or how he was going to reveal, but I guess that was never really going to happen. He's always going to get caught somehow. Right. Um, yeah. And, I kind of like that it was the song. I kind I kind of like that she gets to put it together. She 
she it keeps her from looking really stupid right i mean there's no way she could know she never met brad face to face they only shared this party line he's putting on a little bit of a voice and yeah uh look acting like a hayseed it's a real like superman uh clark kent situation right um so the fact that she gets to piece it together that and she yeah. gets to be the one to discover it and and that it's done through music because we've seen like we open the movie with her humming and being musical yeah. and she gets a she gets a couple of music pieces in the movie that's true uh so so the fact that we get to see her being musical and then it's music that reveals him because mm-hmm. it's the one thing they kind of share and really share yeah. aside from the party line it, I, I think it, it keeps her from looking like an idiot. And then Tony Randall gets to break in and be like, oh, this is all wrong. And she's like, yeah, I already fucking know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the way you and describe that, I do like it. I'm I'm glad I could turn you around on it. <laughs> and then he gets his comeuppance for his part in all of this by getting punched <laughs> in the face. <laughs> yeah, that diner scene. <laughs> I mean, he slapped her too, so he double earned the punch. Yeah. So, mm. so I'm again. The movie's not on his side, which right. is which is why I can like him as a character because the filmmaking is telling you that you don't get you. He's not a good person. You don't have you don't get to like him. Right. So it makes him more enjoyable as a character, knowing the film is also against him. Mm-hmm. I like a squirrely little douchebag. Like I, I like to assume that. If if I had made a real try at like being an actor and gone to Hollywood, that's the kind of character I would be playing. So I I uh, I like those characters. Yeah, you know the way you um again you describe the song and how she puts things together that makes me kind of like the ending a little more too because you know he he's so feels bad because he got caught, but also he's a little apologetic. So he. You know, tries to get her to redo his room, and she redesigns it and um, puts in that song. You know, it, I was just reading now the, the description of the song, and it clicked now that it was a honky tonk version of his song. So she's all playing the whole text thing. <clears throat> so right, yeah, yeah, like it. Yeah, it's it's a nice ending. Uh, apparently, it was supposed to end with them like getting in to bed together or something of the sort but um, again Hayes code we can't go that far so, so they, they had to get married so that's why that ending feels really tacked on mm. is because it is completely tacked on <laughs> it's like yeah. we can't just have this woman get getting laid yeah um, but it does pay off the whole like doctors thinking he's having a baby thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> weird but amusing well i think that's all i have to say about it for now uh you have anything else uh i know it's kind of a kind of a concession and it's not it's not great optics but i like perry blackwell in the uh the restaurant scene oh yeah when she's there like a beautiful woman beautiful black woman on screen yes front center being being showcased and i know you know it's one of those like 
small stepping stones and it's way less than she deserved but right. it, it was it was nice to see it wasn't something i was expecting to see in this movie so yeah. when it happens it's like oh this is 1959 and you know we're we're still we're still pre civil rights act and everything so yeah segregation still exists and separate but equal in certain places and like uh, but yeah they're like you said she's front and center and they're all singing together it's a it was a very nice very nice yeah, scene. her her and uh Doris Day specifically duetting. You know, and Doris Day's husband is one of the producers on this film. So, you know, she uh, I, I can't find anything specifically that says that Doris Day wanted her in this movie, but I you know it, it almost feels like Doris Day was like, that's she's an amazing singer and I want to sing with her. Uh yeah. maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting. Could be. Uh but, but and I also don't want to treat Doris Day like some white savior. So right, that's, right, not, right. that's not why I'm saying this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, again, I also like how they kind of twist, uh, use her um, um, song to call Brad a dog on the way out. <laughs> you lied. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, she doesn't have a real bearing on the plot. She is featured. She sings songs with Doris Day and by herself and mm-hmm. she's an amazing performer. She deserved more, but uh, I'm I'm glad we at least get a stepping stone moment like this from her. Right. I was trying to see I was trying to find the uh the note about oh so the original ending planned for the film was to have Jan after using the trick switch to lock the door and then smiling at Brad, shut off the lights and say, all apartments look alike in the dark. And that was going to be the end of the movie. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even get that line. I'm very, I'm very sad. Because mm. um, that's, that's a great line. It is. So, so that, that's how, I think that's how it was filmed. That's what was planned to end the movie. But uh, censors were like, no. So they made the writers come up with something new. I think they I think they did the best they could with yeah. what they were forced to do. Yeah. All right. Well, uh if that's all the notes we have, yeah. let's move on to do you our... have a registry? Do I do, do that? that now? I always forget. Jonathan. I'll do it. Okay. I can do a registry. Uh yeah. do you think this is in and what year do you think it got in if you think it's I didn't necessarily think it was in. Is it? Sorry, the I I do this every week now. I set this the way I want it to be, and it <laughs> resets itself when I move away from the page. So I'm sorry I complain about this every week, but it happens every week. I need to do better. All right, you said no. I said no. I didn't think it was. It is. Oh, okay. And it got in. It got in in 2009. 2009. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. So. 20 years later. Uh, yeah, again, this changed this kind of why I was dropping hints for you. This changed the face of comedy filmmaking. Okay. It is a very influential film. It, it was making very like big overtures towards sexual activity in 1959, a thing that wasn't happening in film. Like that split screen scene where, they were in the bath together. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, separately, but yeah. together. <laughs> uh, and then their their feet like hit the edge of the screen, and his moves and hers like 
reels back. That was very suggestive for yes. 1959. And uh, yeah, like this and some like it hot. 1959 was a big year for the way that comedy filmmaking was going to shift in the future, even if not right away. Because I mean, some the ending line to some like it hot, one of the most progressive things <laughs> that's mm. ever been put on screen. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Of course, that goes in in 1989. This goes in 2009. Okay. Uh, but uh, Sleeping Beauty's in here for the year. Orgy and Bess, what a great film that is. Uh, North by Northwest. Ben-Hur, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jazz on a Summer's Day, the documentary. Uh, just, a, just a good year all around, I think. I think so. I'll let my dad know that the year he was born. They... They put some good films in for. Yes. Oh, Caitlin's dad, too. He says he always remembers the Ben-Hur one the year he was born. Nice. I got Amadeus, so. I got Platoon. 86? <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's you. All right. So, with that, we're going to move into our Worsty Judgments. All right, Zach. Yes, sir. Now comes the time that Jonathan would normally ask you, do you think Pillow Talk deserved best, hold on, let me read this properly, uh, best uh, story and screenplay written directly for the screen? And or written for the screen. And or. Best story and or screenplay (laughs) and or written and or directly for the screen. Nice. Uh, Well, you know, my initial thought, um, <clears throat> before we started recording tonight was this movie is a lot of fun. I like it a lot. Um, it wins the category, but it's also in the category with three films that I consider uh, some of the finest films ever made that I would give five stars being North by Northwest, The 400 Blows, and Wild Strawberries. And if I were to be fully in my 30-year-old bald white guy, I'd be like, oh, those all deserve it more um, (laughs) because they're more deep and profound or more important to cinema or whatever. Um, And, you know, in a way, I feel that. And I think some people who get really self-serious look at this maybe as one of the years where Oscars favored or more populous film in this category or maybe there was a split vote i don't know because there's a lot of heavy hitters here Mm -hmm. um so my initial feeling is no i don't think it deserved best original screenplay but the more you talk about how influential it is and how bold it was for 1959 you know maybe maybe it did even though it wouldn't have been my pick I, I think it's okay to say, sure. Sure. What do you think, Mr. Workman? Did this deserve best handwritten original piece of art for the screen? <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, what a fucking year. I think this is the best year we've covered so far. Like, as far as just this category. I think you're probably it's, right. Because 400 Blows is so goddamn good. Yeah, it's 
It's so bleak. Yeah. North by Northwest is just such a fun film, and it is easily among Hitchcock's five best. Yes. Um, and Cary Grant is so good at it. Um, mm-hmm. Operation Petticoat, another fun film. That's just a fun, fun film. And yeah. I, I like that it's here. Uh, I always like seeing some Tony Curtis. And again, Cary Grant drooling over the Yeah, I, I thought I um, saw that. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Wild Strawberries is great. Ingmar Bergman is phenomenal. And I know I was joking about it, like giving you shit about Italian cinema, but uh, and I, I'm not saying this is Italian cinema, maybe <laughs> Swedish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's one of the guys that I, I'm in the pocket for. And, and I love him. Uh, this film is so good. This film is so much fun. And I, I feel like I would be kind of a hypocrite if I didn't say this did, des- did, didn't deserve it because it does deserve it. And I complain about how we don't take comedies seriously enough. Because they aren't serious enough. Yeah. I think this film is phenomenal. Again, I, I'll i talk a little bit about my more about my ranking in a moment. But a lot of stuff doesn't... Not a lot of stuff. The, the moments that don't age well, it aged very poorly. They've soured like milk and it's not nice. Yeah. Um, but if you can accept it as a moment of the time and say, this is this... And it's also this. Right. Which is, you know, we shouldn't excuse things from the time, but we also have to accept that that was the time. Because if you can hold two truths, this film can be problematic and it can be great. That's, that's how I see it. And I think this film is great and I think it can be problematic. So we'll rank it in that, like, problematic fave area but i love this film and i had a great time watching it and i i absolutely think it it deserves this award i think this film is probably not equally as good as 400 blows but i i think it (laughs) i think it's in the ballpark okay so i'll ask the second question if that's okay okay sorry i was yeah did you have another thought no no i was just moving my tabs around okay well i'll ask you then uh is this the worst winner of best original screenplay. Uh, absolutely not. Now, when I rank things on the letterbox, I really take into account the things I just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a film can be great, but if it has problematic elements, I feel like I have to let that reflect in a star <clears throat> rating. Right. And norm- normally, depending on how problematic we're getting, Depends on uh, the stars I am going to take away. Now, right. since the problematic elements of this are not the focus of the film, and I think I think the two the two characters earn earn their relationship and earn the tribulations. And while Rock Hudson carrying Doris Day <laughs> in her pajamas through the streets. Not, the greatest thing. Yeah. Uh, like him just breaking into her fucking apartment first off. Right. And then the not co- great. And then she'd be like, somebody call the police. And then she sees a police officer and they're just like, Oh, Hey Brad. Well, there you go. which that's the police. Like that is an accurate dep- depiction of the police. True. Yeah. Um, so no, no love lost there. <laughs> well, that's not great. 
it is it is a hyper stylized comedy mm -hmm. and we shouldn't accept that as like the greatest retribution for her he fucked her over she fucked him over by making his his <laughs> apartment horrendous uh that's where they got the nomination for set direction i'm sure yes absolutely <laughs> and then that that's not that's not the retaliation he should take but yeah sometimes you gotta kind of let the screwball farsiness of it mm -hmm. be the screwball farsiness of it we know this man isn't out to be a horrible person we know he's you know mm -hmm. if if anybody i'm if anybody has any umbrage that with what i am saying please let me know I, I am fine with being put in my place for any any opinion I have here because yeah. I know that's this is a problem kind of a problematic ending, but it's it, it works within the context of the film for right. me. Right. Uh, but again, the yeah. the moments I find problematic in this movie I uh, aren't the focus of the movie. They are things that happen within the context of the film and then we're moved on from. So. With that, I did take a star away. Uh, I'm going to say I maybe took half a star away. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure I would have ranked this five stars. I ranked it four stars. It was probably going to be a four and a half star movie. Um, and it should go higher on my list. Uh, I currently have it at my number 12. It is the top of my four stars. But if those moments weren't as problematic, I probably... I'm probably putting it at like number nine. So my ranking denotes my dissatisfaction with the problematic elements, but does not denote exactly how high I think of this film. Gotcha. But again, this movie can be great and can be problematic. Those are two truths. They can be the same thing. Yes. And if people out there can still watch The Shining, knowing that Shelley Duvall was tortured during that film, I can enjoy a movie that has a couple of homophobic jokes in it and not enjoy those moments. Right. There you go. Good point. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> no. But please. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not the kind of people who are going to sit here and be like, oh, political correctness. But, you know, if you hate the film, you probably have good reason. But if you enjoy it, you're probably viewing it through the lens of, this is a movie that came out. I'm going to watch it for what it is. Right. And uh, I I think it also has a lot to do with meeting the film on its level. Right. Um, but that, that that's something I can get into after I ask you, do you think this is the worst <laughs> best screenplay, original screenplay winner? <laughs> uh, I do not. I can basically uh, take your spot, what you just said, and um, replay it with a slight edit. Um, I, t you know, for me, this would have probably been a four star, um, but I, I, I knocked off a half star. So I gave it three and a half. Um, and it's also at my number 12. So there we go. We're in step there pretty much. Nice. Um, yeah, it just a couple jokes here and there that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I don't like that. So I'm going to take a half star. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Great. Um, I don't know if I actually want to get into a thing about meeting films on their level. 
but you should. You you need to meet all films on the level that they are presented to you. And if you can't, then you're not judging it fairly. Which is why I won't give a star rating to Bo's Afraid because I don't feel like I met that film on its level, and I'm going to refuse to ever watch it again. Okay. So, so I did not give that film a star rating on my letterbox, and I'm just pretending I never saw it. Forget I ever said anything. There you go. That's also why people should not rate uh, Spy Kids badly. I 100% agree. I don't think people meet children's films on their level most of the time. Because that film wasn't fucking made for you. And you can say, if you're an adult, you're probably not going to enjoy this movie. That is a fair assessment. But most people who don't enjoy children's entertainment feel like they need... They need to be pandered to as an adult in order to enjoy movie. Mm. So that's why Pixar are acceptable films for adults to watch. Yeah. That's why Paddington's an acceptable film for adults to watch. So if you're a bald man in your 30s, guys, I keep I, I just want to bring this up. Uh I I keep harping in text conversations and voice chats with the podcast and uh the shark channels that Bald men in their 30s are the worst thing that happened to film because this is a podcast hosted by three bald men in their 30s. <laughs> um, and and I mostly want to keep myself in check as well as other bald men in their 30s because, because it's what we were saying here uh, when you were kind of taking a shot at yourself while talking about your how whether or not you think this is our best picture. Yes. Wild Strawberries is a great film. Yes. The 400 blows is one of the best films ever made. Yes. North by Northwest is a classic North by Northwest was the big main was a big mainstream hit of the year mm-hmm. and would probably be looked at more in the vein of like, uh, the Mission big, Impossible big budget. Yeah. Something like that where it was more taken seriously than a lot of the Hitchcock at the time. But, was still like a lot of nominations where they're like, eh, we'll give you some nominations so we can appease the people that are paying to see big budget movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben Hur is also there. So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's being held accountable for trying to not take this shit too seriously because yeah. film is amazing. It is a great way to teach empathy when I watch things with my children and there are things that uh, are kind of out of the norm of our family or our household, we Mm -hmm. have conversations about them and it's a great way to, you know, teach our kids how the world works and how people exist in the world and how outside of themselves there are, there are different ways to live and whatnot. That's great. And I love that. And it's a big part of why I love film because it taught me so much about things outside of myself growing up. Yeah. And you know, that warms my heart to hear you say this because so many people just watch a film and then just walk away and they don't talk about it. Yeah. It's yeah. And you know, it's anything we watch. If, if there's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of films that are just easy to digest and easy to enjoy, but like big emotions and, uh, people who are normally othered and treated less than when when they exist in the children's media, especially that we watch, 
we like to have conversations about it. We like mm-hmm. to, you know, um, Craig of the Creek, one of the best shows on TV. Um, they're one of the three main characters is a young queer girl. And you don't learn this until like late, like early in season three mm-hmm. when she falls in love with this young girl who works at, or like hangs out in the library all the time. And the two of them like bond over, uh, creating fiction together. And then they kind of become a couple, but it's not a, it's not made a huge deal. It just happens and it exists in the world. And when it happens, like, you know, it's a conversation we have now. Oh, why are, why are they holding hands? Well, they like each other, but they're both girls. Okay. Yeah. Girls sometimes like girls, guys sometimes like guys. It's yeah. part of the world. It's the way it works. Uh, and yeah, the, I, I believe it was Roger Ebert said that, oh, mascot of the podcast, Zaphod Beeble Brox, uh, and just got home. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Roger Ebert once said that movies are empathy machines, and that's great. And we should, we should, treat all movies on the level that they are presented to us. And if you can't meet a film at its level, like spy kids Armageddon, which is a great film that had a lot to say about the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. which apparently all these bald guys, bald white guys in their thirties completely missed, <laughs> uh, because saw a lot of fucking one star reviews on Letterboxd, And I don't think that film is treated fairly by all the bald white guys in their thirties. Yes. So, uh, because they're a, adults and they watch adult movies about adult things and i love adult movies about adult things i'll talk about one in just a minute but i love those movies because i'm meeting them on the level that they are adult movies about adult things this is a kid's movie about kids things made for kids to teach kids that sometimes most of the time putting people in prison doesn't fucking work (laughs) because that's not how we should treat people that's a terrible way to treat people. A bunch of all white guys in their thirties didn't listen to the Latin children as they were espousing this message. Fuck them. Yes. Fuck them in their bald heads. <laughs> so I'm trying not to be that bald white guy in his thirties. <laughs> and I would, and I appreciate that most of the people, the bald white guys in their thirties of my life aren't a hundred percent like that. Indeed. Because I'm, I'm still like that sometimes. Yeah, me too. Sometimes. I try not to be. But I recognize it, and I'm working on it. <laughs> hmm Okay. Okay. Well, we're done with that part of the show, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Maranty McRanterson over here. <gasps> I like it. Here, let me move my box. This would... Uh, would Jonathan start saying goodbye, and then he'd, uh, we'd say our stuff? Like, yeah, hey. he, he's like, hey, we're going to call it for this week. Zach, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, you can find me at Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, TikTok, House Havoc, Letterboxd, by searching for my name. And Mr. Workman. Uh, you can find me at Father of the Fear, Instagrams, and you can find me at Shark Dressed Men on I forget how I do this. I'm so <laughs> without Jonathan's lead in. Okay, let me start yeah. this over. And Trav, you can keep all that in because I'm an idiot. Uh, father, uh, no, Shark Dress Mint, TikTok, Just Tappy and I doing shark shit. 
uh, instant grams, father of the fear, me doing dumb shit. I, I don't, I'm not really posting over there much, but I do sometimes. Uh, and uh, letterboxed at father of the fear, where I'm keeping a running tally of all the films that I watch. And this week, the only film I watched from 2023 was the film we will hopefully be coming a future Sazy Killers of the Flower Moon. Hmm. Uh, all I'm going to say, I'm not going to give a big rant, is I love adult movies about adult things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this was a very adult movie about very adult things. And hey, I'm still depressed. Mm. That film does not leave you happy at all, nor should it. Right. Uh, because it's not a fun movie. Because it shouldn't be a fun movie. Right. Because it is about real sad shit that really happened. <laughs> Holy fuck. Martin Scorsese is the greatest living director. He, oh my God. Like, I, I hope we get to cover that soon because it, it's so good. I, I barely have words for it. And I'm going to be constructing thoughts and yeah ideas and um yeah watching a movie about uh bald white guys killing indigenous peoples not fun uh yeah who to thunk i've heard it's very um well i mean it's true events but i heard it, it's that the book is amazing and that the film does the book honors so uh, i i have not read the book which of course is a true crime novel mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if, if the book is as good as this movie, then that's, an that's an incredible book. Cause this movie is, it, <sighs> <laughs> I have, I, I have a hard time saying nice things about it. Like other than it's a really well-made film because mm -hmm. it's not a nice feeling film. And again, that's the way that you should feel walking out of that movie. Right. And, and thinking about the things that happen in that movie. Uh, it hurts. It, it, yeah, yeah, manifest destiny, colonialism. It sucks. I fucking hate it. Like, I, uh, you know, I know Martin Scorsese doesn't make torture porn, and I don't say this to say, like, I want to go feel pain by witnessing bad things, but I, you know, I love a film that makes me feel terrible sometimes. Yeah. And the good thing about the movie is it, it isn't torture porn. It's not, it's not any kind of it, it doesn't feel pornographic in any way like in mm. in that sense where like you know people call like uh tragedy porn that's the word i was looking okay. for it it doesn't feel like tragedy porn and it doesn't really feel like tragedy porn see these are i don't want to talk about this film too much okay. because we yeah, yeah. i'm we're, we're hopefully going to dedicate an entire podcast episode to it now yes. that podcast episode should be as long as the movie because <laughs> the ideas and the the execution of this film are bigger than uh, it, it's so vast and expansive and it's amazing um so yeah. that what are we watching next week <laughs> next week uh we're revisiting a film that we covered on best picture uh the Ooh. apartment ah uh... <laughs> But uh, looking at the apartment, that reminds me that it's a 1960 film, which uh, <laughs> I almost forgot that we need to do our decade recap. 
We do need to do a decade recap, so let me entertain you. Uh, and by that, I mean look up what we had in the 1950s. So here goes our decade recap. Uh, so running down the list, it is 1950, Sunset Boulevard, An American in Paris, The Lavender Hill Mob, Titanic, On the Waterfront, Interrupted Melody, Red Balloon, Designing Woman, Defiant Ones, and Pillow Talk. Hmm. Okay. Well. So, Zach, is this the worst decade for best original screenplay? I will have to say... Mm-mm-mm. No. Uh, there is there is a decent amount of dispersion amongst my list up and down. Uh, but one, two, three. Three of my top four are from this decade. And um, my bottom is still from the 40s. So I'm going to have to say no. I, you know, I really like the 40s, uh, but I think the 50s are uh, they're it uh, so far. What do you think? Is this the worst decade? I'm going to say absolutely not. As you said, the only film that I've given less than three stars was in the 40s. The only film from this decade that I gave less than four stars was Interrupted Melody. Hmm. And that would have been a much higher rating if the last like five minutes of that movie weren't so bad and sent such a confused message through the rest of the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, four of my top five are now 1950s. Uh, seven of my top ten are 1950s. Nice. So there's only three films from this decade that aren't in the top ten. Uh, and I, I math wrong, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, Six. Six of my top ten. Sorry. Oh, that's fine. Uh, uh, Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer is my number ten right now. Yeah. So, uh, Pillow Talk, Designing Woman, Titanic, all four stars, not in my top ten, and Interrupted Melody, not in my top ten, uh, in my bottom two. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is a very strong decade for the category, and even when the competition wasn't great, um, I, I feel like they at least picked an interesting one or a good one. Mm. And uh, in other cases, they just picked Sunset Boulevard, which is one of the best films of all time. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So no, uh, the 40s remains my worst, and this is my best. Well, there you go. Cool. All right. Oh, yeah. And so we're watching The Apartment next, which uh, is unavailable. Uh, it's available on a series of places. You can... Rent it on Amazon, Google, uh, MGM Plus, apparently. Uh, Philo, YouTube, Redbox, Voodoo. There you go. Lots of places to rent it. I'm going to put this in a spot. And I'm going to see if it stays there. Okay. So you can, you can go look at my list right now. Uh, we'll probably have <laughs> talked about the apartment uh, at this point. So this actually doesn't mean anything, but I have put it in a certain place. I'm going to see if it stays there. I'll let you know what place it was next week and what place it ended up in. Okay. Zach, I'll tell you the place once we finish recording. 
Okay, I'm making a note to ask you. All right, so with that, I'd like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. I'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. I'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at OscarsPod, and on Facebook at The Oscars Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen the all. Almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm of five stars. You're my inspiration, listener. <laughs> so, for Jonathan and Zach and Thelma Ritter picking up that Academy Award nomination, we see you. We'd like for you all to have a damn fine day.